fostering refugee kids. It's probably one of the most rewarding things, if not the most rewarding thing that you know I've ever done. I think it's changed me a lot as a person. It's kind of really opened my eyes, given me a, a whole kind of new perspective on, on life in, in a very positive way. You're listening to the Worldwide Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Jazz O'Hara, and together with some very special guests, we'll be taking you on a journey across the world without you having to go anywhere. We're here to amplify voices, from the people leaving their countries and everything behind them, to the volunteers working alongside them. We'll be hearing from those currently living in refugee camps and people on the front line, the real heroes of today, the humans behind the statistics and the headlines. Join me as we transcend borders, nationalities, religions and languages to hear from the people with which we share this world, our worldwide tribe. everyone I can't quite believe that we are 30 episodes in it's absolutely mind-blowing to me actually that 30 conversations and 30 incredible guests actually more because some of these episodes have two but yeah I wanted to start today by basically just saying thank you all so much for continuing to listen and to support me in bringing you these important stories I just keep meeting more and more incredible people who I feel so deserve a platform to share their stories So I've got loads of ideas and inspiration for upcoming episodes, basically. But today is, I guess, a little bit of a different one um, because I had a few guests lined up to record with this week, Um, but a few things just seemed to happen all at once. I moved out of my house in London and uh, one of those guests got COVID um, and was quite ill with it. And yeah, there were just, I guess, a few things that kind of got in the way of making those recordings happen. Somebody else cancelled. And I was telling my mum about this in a bit of a stress last week. And she came back to me saying, well, Jazz, uh, your dad says he'd be very happy to chat to you if you need someone. And um, I've been trying to get my dad on the podcast for ages because lots of you, having heard my mum's perspective of fostering, have asked about him and wanted to hear his view on being a dad to so many kids and from all these different countries. And um, my dad's always been a little bit more private, I guess, and maybe a little bit less um, forthcoming, let's put it that way, when it comes to sharing his story or being on Instagram and stuff like that, you know. Um, And of course, I've always totally respected that. So it came as an amazing surprise uh, this week that he was actually willing to talk to me uh, for this episode. I've always known that he would have some really beautiful things to share. And I really hope that you enjoy the realness that he brings today. But first, I feel like a little update is probably in order as it's been a while since I've just chatted to you about what's been going on and just basically checking in with everyone, I guess. I wanted to start by another thank you actually um to everybody who sent some love and good vibes out about Mez's brother 
For anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about or didn't see the Instagram post, basically my Eritrean brother, Mez, uh, who's been on this podcast a couple of times sharing his amazing story. Uh, It's episodes five and six for anyone who hasn't listened to them. Literally stop what you're doing right now and go and listen because he shares his he's the only podcast guest that's had like two dedicated episodes all to him and the first one is about why he left Eritrea when he was 12 and the journey that he took to make it to the UK which involved crossing the Sahara the Mediterranean like the most crazy mind-blowing journey by himself as a kid and yeah you know just what he went through and what he experienced and achieved is quite amazing and profound um but also the second episode is about life since he made it to the UK and what that's been like integrating into a completely new world and culture anyway basically Mez's little brother recently followed in his footsteps and also left Eritrea also fleeing the army he contacted Mez in Ethiopia, uh, the neighbouring country of Eritrea. And Mez has been sending him some money. He's been working really hard here in England as a delivery driver to support him there in Ethiopia in the hope that he would be able to stay in, in Ethiopia, that he would maybe be able to find a job or live there, you know, safely um, and wouldn't attempt the crazy journey, the, you know, the dangerous onward journey that Mez took to get here because it's only got harder and more dangerous since Mez did it, and Mez knows that very well. But there's war in Ethiopia at the moment, as uh, most of you guys probably know. I've been posting about what's been happening in the Tigray region in Ethiopia. So it's very difficult for even Ethiopians to get work in Ethiopia, let alone Eritrean refugees in Ethiopia. So life was difficult for his brother there. Naturally, you know, he's similar to Mez. He wants more for his life. He wants a future. He wants to be able to go to school. He wants all of those things that he sees that Mez has now, right? So a few weeks ago, Mez's worst fears came true and he got a call from his brother saying that he was now in Libya about to cross the sea. Mez begged him not to do it and not to risk his, his, his life, you know, crossing the Mediterranean. But by this point, there's not really any way to go back there's no going back i researched as much as i could to find out which rescue ships were working from all of the contacts and people that i know working in search and rescue Uh, they basically just said to me you know two tips number one strongly advise him against trying it's it's very very dangerous and chances of making it very slim and number two if he is going to do it then to make sure he has a life jacket plenty of water and the phone number of alarm phone basically so where we're at right now is that we still haven't heard anything uh, but this week you might have seen that hundreds of people have been rescued by three amazing rescue ships currently working in the search and rescue zone in the Mediterranean Sea Watch uh, SOS Mediterranean ship the Ocean Viking and rescue ship um, so. They have rescued hundreds of people, um, but these people are still waiting for a safe port. So they're actually still at sea on these boats. And it's also been reported just yesterday that there are 800 more people currently in distress out at sea, not being rescued because the rescue ships are full and there's nothing more that they can do until they dock and then go back out to do another rescue. And that's the scandal here, right? That the European authorities, all of these European countries that have, you know, Uh, Coast Guard services, they literally are leaving these rescue ships, these NGOs, these charities to do this life-saving work without support. So yeah, I appreciate all of you guys for connecting in with that and recognising what is happening on, on Europe's 
shores right now. But in our family, uh, we remain positive. It's it's all we can do, I guess. My mum sent me a voice message this weekend uh, saying this. And uh, if you want to stay the night on Friday night, you're very welcome. I've made a special day bed in um, Mesret's room. And the reason I've done that just is because I'm getting ready for his brother to arrive. I'm manifesting. So, yeah, basically, we're asking you guys to join us in manifesting the safe arrival of Mez's brother. Let's just all pray or however we want to manifest, visualize uh, that he is one of those people rescued this week and that he will soon be safely on dry land in perhaps Italy or Malta or Spain, you know, knowing um somebody about to make this journey or planning to make this journey it just brings it all closer to home and uh yeah i just i'm constantly imagining the moment that mez and his brother are reunited um and i just feel like if we all do the same and we channel some positive energy that way then it can only be helpful right anyway guys here's my lovely dad an unexpected guest but a conversation that i really enjoyed and i hope you do too How are you today, Papa? Yeah, I'm good. But Mum's away tonight, isn't she? She is indeed, yeah. Yeah. So I'll probably be staying up late doing some music. You cooking for the boys or uh, will they be cooking for you? I think we'll get a takeaway. What do you think you'll get? Uh, Indian. Classic. Yeah. Can't go wrong. And Everybody likes an Indian, it. so yeah. Basically, I would just love to ask you, I guess, a little bit about the fostering journey. And I know that maybe the journey has looked a little bit different for you than it did for mum right can you remember what your first thoughts were about fostering yeah I really wasn't sure about it at first to be honest I mean it was something that your mum kind of always wanted to do but I was always a little bit kind of reticent it took me a bit more a bit longer kind of to get my head around it and to uh brace it really yeah what were you not sure about do you think I don't know I mean I'm naturally quite a selfish person right um you know, I like my own space. I like to do my own thing. And I wasn't sure how, you know, fostering might kind of disrupt that. And also having had you four, I wasn't sure that I'd be able to give to the foster, you know, to the foster kids the same kind of love and, 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 uh, and so on that I've given to, uh, to you guys. It just felt very uncertain in my head. Yeah. I just had a lot of personal doubts about it, really. So yeah, that, that, that was at the start and uh, we're here where we are now and, uh, and it's wonderful. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about that journey. What changed and when? I think as we were going through the process of being, you know, when, when, when you go through the application process and you're being vetted and you're going through the process of, of, of learning about fostering, it kind of became clearer to me during that time. That, and, and this was before we'd kind of decided to foster refugee kids. It was you know, just about fostering, really, because when we first decided to foster, we'd never really thought about uh, fostering refugees. And it was just as we went through that process and we went on the, the fostering course and so on. I don't know, I just had more of a realisation of, yeah, I can do this. You know, I mean, these, these, these kids, they need what me and Uda are able to provide. And you know, I've probably got, you know, a lot to offer. Yeah, it felt more natural as we went on and those those doubts kind of steadily got removed. And then when Mez arrived, they just kind of, the doubts went out the window. It was just like love at first sight. <laughs> it actually was, wasn't yeah, it? That's the best yeah. way to describe it. I feel like we thought we were really lucky that first time because he just slipped into the family so easily and it felt natural and there was a real strong bond there. And I think a lot of other people maybe looked 
on at the situation and thought, wow, that's just a really good match. But then I do feel like that happened again, three times over differently, but still a really beautiful process each time, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, obviously Mez was the first, but each of the boys, you know, they're all very, very different and they've all come with their own kind of unique characters, their own unique challenges. Each one of them is individual in, in their own right, just in the way that each of, of you guys, you know, you, uh, you and your, your siblings, your natural siblings uh, are. You know, that's just something that you, you kind of realise from day one. And as you get to know them more, the more you kind of accept those individualities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like any kids, first and foremost, they're teenage boys, right? And you'd had two teenage boys already and four teenagers, so you know that they all come with their own unique challenges and ups and downs. Yeah. And I think that's an important point to make is that, you know, they are teenagers, they're teenage boys, and they're first and foremost teenage boys above being refugees or asylum seekers or not English or, you know, whatever these labels that people, you know, put on them. You know, they're teenage boys and they've got their own issues, uncertainties and demons that they have to fight themselves that, you know, that we all have. They all need the, the, the same kind of, I guess, the same love and care and attention and, 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 and guidance and so on that uh, that any teenager uh, needs. Dad, you know, you mentioned that kind of nurturing environment and that love that they need and that consistency. This is quite a big question, but creating that environment that you and mum have done so well for the four of us and now plus these four boys that have joined the family, where do you think that comes from in you? Like, how does that compare to your childhood? (laughs) <laughs> that's a that is a big question how does that compare to my childhood um well yeah I'm, I'm not quite sure how to answer that one because i i've had my own challenges growing up i mean i left home when i was 17 and um i was you know kind of semi-homeless for a while and and it took me a long time to kind of find my way as a young adult i i guess you know once we started having kids uh, like like any parent, you want to do the best you can for your kids, right? I mean, we're no different, I think, in that regard to, to most parents and that you want to create a loving environment, a nurturing environment that's the, the kind of best environment for your kids to grow up in. Nobody, uh, I think, you know, when they become a, a parent really knows how to do that. I mean, it's, it's, it's trial and error as you go along. Uh, and it's exactly the same with fostering. I think people come into fostering and, you know, they don't necessarily know what it's going to be like and what it's going to involve and, and, and what, I guess, resources you're ha- going to have to draw on within yourself to, to make it work. But I guess I've all, always had the, the attitude, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, Jazz, that I think it's really important, first of all, to respect your kids, you know, to, to, to really give them, I mean, a lot of parents say kids should respect you kind of thing, but I think it's really important that you respect your kids as well. You respect their wishes, their dreams, you know, their own kind of desires and so on and encourage them to do the right thing really that's all you can do and and that doing the right thing could manifest in so many different ways but it's 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 just a case of trying to support them to make the right decisions for themselves i, I don't like to use the word discipline but it's a case of you know making it clear what's right and what's wrong and so on and, and giving them the opportunity to kind of discover that for themselves and then to realize when when they're going the right way versus a wrong way talk to them communication is like really really important and it's always been a massive part of our family i think is is that communication and I, I, you know i take my hat off to your mum for that because she's like one of the world's great communicators and uh, i think being able to communicate with your kids and not shut them down is is like really important i totally 
agree with everything that you just said. Us growing up as well, I felt like we were always unconditionally loved and allowed to be exactly who we wanted to be. But then we still knew the boundaries of yeah, boundaries, what was right and what was yeah, wrong. Yeah. So you mentioned before as well that along the way there has been some challenges and that there are ups and downs with this. Yeah. Is there anything in particular that kind of comes to mind or any moments that you would want to speak to about any of those challenges? Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 have, to, I have to think about that one because, I mean, the challenges are probably more to do with how I respond to the behavior or the, 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 the way the boys act in certain situations or how they handle certain situations and how I respond to that. One of the things that I always have to be careful of is, is not to misinterpret things, not to misinterpret behavior. You know, it's very easy to fall into the trap of thinking that behavior you don't like is directed against you and generally it's not it's it's because of you know shit that the, the, the these lads are having to deal with themselves in their own heads and, and stuff they've gone through you know with their own trauma and so on and you know the, the way they're reacting to things is a response to that so like for example if i raise my voice a little bit that can really trigger a a reaction uh, particularly in 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 the youngest lad so i have to be very careful because i mean you know i i can be when I'm talking and when I'm expressing myself, I, I, I guess I can be quite animated and sometimes come across as, you know, maybe angry or, or, or whatever. When I'm not particularly, but I'm just, just kind of, you know, emotionally engaged, I guess. And uh, if the boys, if they interpret that as me being kind of raising my voice and being angry, then that can trigger a reaction in them, which then triggers a reaction in me. So you do have to, to, to watch that, or I find I have to watch that, you know, quite a lot. Uh, because some of the behavior is challenging sometimes, you know, I mean, these lads have all, you know, come from very difficult circumstances, you know, and they've had to to deal with those circumstances in, in the, the best way they know being young teenagers. So when they come to our house, we have to, to kind of realize that. And, and as I say, not misinterpret what, you know, many people might interpret as bad behavior. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. It's about how you're responding. And also, I think it's about the context, isn't it? Yeah. Actually recognizing that, you know, there might be some trauma around a male uh, figure in their lives raising yeah. their voice. So it's not necessarily them reacting to you. It's reacting to that trauma that lives within them. Totally. Yeah. I guess one of the ways to deal with that is is kind of recognizing that that, you know, I can be in the wrong sometimes, you know what I mean? I'm not always right. And I might think that I'm right about something and I might, might kind of feel, no, no, this, this is the way it should be. He has to learn kind of thing. But then taking a step back and thinking, okay, well, how must that come across to him? And then being big enough to go, to go back and say, well, listen, I'm really sorry. I raised my voice. I acted as in a, in a certain way to be the first one to make the reconciliation. Do you know what I mean? Rather than kind of digging your heels in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, I guess, be the bigger person in yeah, one yeah. sense, because you are, you're the parent in this. Absolutely. They all deserve a little bit of leeway. Yeah, they do. They do. One thing I've learned from you and mum in this is that there isn't always a right and wrong way either. It isn't a like, this is right, this is wrong, it's okay. Let's work this out based on each child and what their needs are. So for example, talking about our youngest brother, 
he has not necessarily had such great attendance at school. He struggled at school. He sometimes doesn't want to go to school, right? But Mm -hmm. where he feels most free and most alive and most accepted and seen and recognized is on the football pitch, right? And um, one of the things that I've been talking to mum about is we have this very strict idea that if you don't go to school, you can't go to football practice, for example. That seems quite accepted by social workers or teachers or whatever. But mum said to me that she doesn't want to punish him for not going to school and she doesn't want to take away the one place where he can be free, where he feels like he cannot think about the fact that he's different, that he doesn't speak the language, that maybe at school he feels stupid because he can't keep up with the other kids. That to me is a really clear example of there isn't a right or wrong here. It isn't a case of you're not going to school, you can't go to football practice. It's about talking to him about why he doesn't want to go to school and what he, he gets from football and working with him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I'm 100% with your mum on that. And, and you know, to be fair, she's she's much, much better with that kind of approach than I am. Because, you know, my, my first reaction is, well, if you're not going to school, you're not going to football, you know. But then when I think about it and when I talk with your mum about it, what you've just said is is very, very clear. You shouldn't punish behaviour that is triggered from difficulties in dealing with their own kind of emotions with, you know, just adding to it by taking away something else that uh, that they love. Dad, we've heard from mum about how she's kind of thrown herself into the role of mother to these boys in lots of ways. And for me, I feel like you've really done that in your own way by showing an interest in things like reading these big history books about Afghanistan or Libya and cooking Eritrean recipes or even learning Arabic. Uh, Do you think that that's your way of showing love? Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's it, it's my way of, of, of trying to connect, certainly, you know, trying to understand and, and trying to, to, to connect with the lads by understanding more about their backgrounds, making them food that they like through, you know, trying to, uh, even though I'm, I'm crap at it so far, learning a little bit of Arabic. Yeah, I guess that that's my way of doing it. Your mum and I are very, very different, as you know, in, in that your mum is much more in tune with the boys' emotions and, and with you know, what they need uh, emotionally. I don't have that ability that she has in, in that regard, so I, I kind of find my own way, which I think is, yeah, is, is through the, the things that you mentioned, like taking the, the, the youngest lad to, to football all the time, to his football practices and his football games and cooking them, them food and, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and... Let's talk about Ramadan. Tell me about Ramadan this year. That was a big one. <laughs> Ramadan. <laughs> La- last year was the first year that our youngest lad had been here, and he arrived just about you know a couple of months before Ramadan. We've had Ramadan um, a couple of times before because you know a couple of the other lads are Muslim as well, and it's always been kind of something that they've done. And yeah, you know, we 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 kind of support them in whatever way we can to make sure they've got the right kind of food and all that kind of stuff. But last year. The young lad had only been here, you know, a couple of months and it was in lockdown and he wasn't in a great place. He wasn't going to school. You know, there was no football. There was nothing going on. And uh, and he did, um, he, he then did Ramadan. And it was obviously really, really difficult for him because normally, you know, somewhere like, you know, any one of these, these Muslim countries like, you know, Libya, Afghanistan, Syria, whatever, it's a real community thing, right? Everybody does it. And it's something where everybody gets involved. You know, everyone's fasting. And at the end of the day, everybody eats together. And it's a big, you know, celebration at the end of each day and a massive celebration at the end when it's uh, it's Eid. 
And kind of none of that happened for him last year. And I felt like I really felt for him that, you know, he, he must have felt so alone in, in kind of, okay, you know, one of the older lads was, was, was doing Ramadan as well. But still, it was, it was a very kind of solitary thing, which I don't think it should be. So this year I thought, well, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll do it as well and, and kind of try and make a, a bit more of a, a family thing of it. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll fast. We'll all eat together at uh, nine o'clock or whenever it was. And, um, you know, show solidarity in that way. I mean, not, not for any religious reason, just wanted to do it out of solidarity to make them feel like they're not alone. And it's more of a family thing that we're doing rather than, than them having to, to kind of deal with it on their own like that. And do you think it worked? Do you think that that did make them feel that? I think it really helped, to be honest. Ramadan was a much more enjoyable month this year than it was last year, like for everybody. To be honest, I I've actually found it not difficult at all. I was worried beforehand that, you know, I'd get really grumpy because I'm hungry. Because I tend to, I'm like you, Jazz. If I don't eat, I get like really hangry, you know, I get grumpy and start getting irritable with people and I mean, and, we um, were worried about that as well, Dad. You exceeded all of our expectations. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think because because I went into it knowing that I wasn't going to eat for, you know, 12, 14 hours a day, 16 hours, whatever it is, because I, I, I knew that in my mind, I wasn't kind of sitting there kind of expecting food. Do you know what I mean? So normally I, I'm at my worst. Say if we go to a restaurant and the service is crap and I'm just waiting to eat and I'm really hungry, that's when I get really, really grumpy. But if I know that I'm not going to eat for, for this period of time, I just kind of flick that switch in my head and say, okay, this is, this is, this is fasting time. And uh, yeah, just get on with it. So it, it, was, um, it was a lot easier than I thought it would be. Will you do it again? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from an outside perspective, it seemed like it really connected you in a beautiful ritual every day that we weren't part of. Actually, I was a bit jealous sometimes that, you know, you'd be slowly preparing this food and sitting down together and it would be a real ceremony. And all of us who had been just like gorging all day and whatever we wanted and already had our dinner, it did look like a beautiful thing to be a part of. Yeah, and it, it is really nice because, you know, the moment the sun rises in the morning to when it goes down at night, you know, nothing passes your lips. And then, at you know, when the sun has gone down, um, it's it's feast time. So, you know, what we'd find ourselves doing, you know, co- a couple of hours generally before the sun went down, you know, we'd start preparing the food and we'd, we'd lay the table out. And, and this is every night, right? This is not just like for a big party. This is every night during Ramadan. We'd have, you know, all the different dishes prepared and all set out and special soft drinks and stuff. It was just this really nice uh, kind of ritual every night. And, you know, cooking with the boys was, was good fun as well because we generally kind of partake in the, in the preparation of the food together. So, yeah, it was just really good. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I think it would be amazing to one day actually uh, observe Ramadan in uh, a country that is everywhere everyone's doing it. Yeah, definitely. And I, I lost a bit of weight, but nowhere near as much as I thought, uh, as I was hoping to. Well, I mean, you're probably just eating the whole day's worth of food in one meal, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Judging by true. those feasts. Dad, do you feel that it's been difficult in the last few years ever opening yourself or our family up to things that are out of our control and things that are potentially painful, things like asylum claims or, you know, what's going on with Mez's brother right now, things that we actually don't have control of and that are quite scary things to take on board? 
To an extent, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I guess, a great believer in, in you know, focusing on things that, that you've got control over. You know, we've got no control over the, the, what's happening in the Mediterranean or on the Channel. We've got no control over home office policy, uh, immigration policy, other than kind of voting. But, I mean, you do that once every four years and never does any good. Because <laughs> um, too many people vote for the other party. Um, but, yeah, so, uh, you know, all I can do is take control over over what I've got control over, right? And, and that's just providing a, a safe, secure, hopefully nurturing protective environment for, for the lads here to me it's as simple as that really i mean it is horrible 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 what's what's happening with with you know refugees in the mediterranean and across the channel but horrible things happen all over the world all the time and if and if you if you got into into the the, the rabbit hole of of you know really fretting about that all the time then you know you'd be a, a, a wreck there's certain things that i have power over so take power over them Whether you worry about something or not, it doesn't change the outcome, right? Exactly. Worry doesn't change the outcome. And I learned that from Mez, you know, like when I asked him, like, oh, are, you, are you worried about that? He would say, well, what's the, what's the use of worrying? I think it helps when you have a faith as well that you kind of put your trust into God or whatever that looks like for you. Some things are out of your control and you just have to trust and let go. And otherwise, mm-hmm. absolutely, as you say, it can break you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you've experienced that, Jazz. I mean, you know, the, the, the work that you've done uh, over the last few years. I mean, you know, you, you've been at breaking point a few times and uh, you've managed to, to get yourself through that. But, you know, when you've seen some of the shit that's going on, you know, that's, that's really impacted you. And I think mm-hmm. it's, it's important to be able to focus on, on the impact that you can have versus stuff that you've got, you know, no control over. Dad, is there anything else that you want to add? Any final thoughts that you have before we go? I think what I would say is, you know, for anybody who's thinking of fostering, particularly fostering refugee kids, it's probably one of the most rewarding things, if not the most rewarding thing that, you know, I've ever done. I think it's changed me a lot as a person. It's kind of really opened my eyes um, and given me a a whole kind of new perspective on on life in, in a very positive way. If you are looking to foster children, then, you know, it can do that. But what I would say is is don't have unrealistic expectations. What I've seen from some other foster parents, and, you know, not all certainly, but certain, but, you know, a few, is that they go into fostering with these, these kind of expectations that the kids will need to kind of accept their way of doing things because this is our house kind of thing, so you live by our rules. And, yeah, that, that, that seems to be a kind of common approach, which... I, th- I think you have to really take a step back and think about, you know, what do these kids really, really need in terms of a kind of loving, nurturing environment? And how, how can I give that to them rather than kind of laying down rules that they have to follow or trying to convert them to your way of life? I'm so fascinated by that because where there's change and where you're growing, there's always going to be some kind of resistance, right? And- yeah. In our family, there is an example of that, that, you know, we had our way and they had their way and we have to meet somewhere in the middle. And that takes compromise on both sides. You and mum, you know, at this point in your life, in your 50s, you've got your home, you've got the way that you do things, have been flexible enough to be open to those changes and openness and willingness to listen and 
you hit the nail on the head there. So, you know, kind of willingness to listen. Um, and, 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 and that's hard sometimes, you know, sometimes you don't, you, you don't want to listen. You, sometimes you think you're right, but it's really, really important to try and get over that and to think, okay, you know, what is this boy actually saying to me right now? And, uh, what's behind that and, and what does he need and, and how can I help satisfy that need rather than making things worse? But having said that, not just saying yes to everything, you know, I mean, that's not the answer either. Again, some of these kids are quite demanding. You know, they, they arrive here with nothing and then like, you know, a couple of months later or a month later, they say everybody's got iPhones and, and designer trainers and, and they, you know, they don't want to be, they, they want to be part of that. You know, they don't see why they should be different. You know, why, why, why shouldn't they have the same kind of things that British teenagers have got? And I totally understand that. I totally get that. It's a balance. <laughs> you know, you can't say yes to everything, but you have to say yes to a lot of things. One last thing that I want to mention that happened at the end of last Ramadan that is a good example of this is I remember the boys asked you guys for some money to give to charity, right? And yeah. if I remember this right, mum had said, well, if you want to give money to charity, I think you should probably do that out of your pocket money. You know, you've, you guys have got some money. We've been giving you pocket money every week. And they were upset by that. Yeah. It turns out that we found out later down the line that it's quite a normal process at the end of Ramadan where older people will give the younger people money to then pass on to charity. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, and and we didn't realise that, you know, um, you know, not not that we don't want to give to charity. Yeah, it was a case of, well, you know, this is something that you want to do, so you know, maybe you should think about, you know, looking looking at your own pocket money and giving some out of that. Like you say, not realising that that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. But now we know how it works, and so exactly. And you know, this comes back to communication, right? It comes back to yeah, communication and learning, of learning like, as you go mm-hmm. along, you know. Yeah, and being willing to learn. So like I said at the start, you know, nobody comes into this with all the answers. Yeah, but uh, but you learn as you go. Well, there you go, guys. That was my lovely dad. I've basically worked my way through the whole family now. Well, actually, there's loads of us, so not quite. But you can hear from my mum uh, in episodes four and episode 22 and from Mez in episodes five and six from my uh, other brother Nils who runs Jangala Wi-Fi a project that started with us setting up a Wi-Fi network in the Calais jungle and has now gone on to be a charity in its own right in episode seven I've also recorded a really beautiful powerful segment with my Sudanese brother Bijo which I'm yet to share So yeah, I'm just basically making use of all of the family members. Um, But I'd love to know your thoughts on this episode and what you would like to hear more of in the rest of season five. So please let me know. To get in touch, send me a direct message on Instagram at the Worldwide Tribe. I'm always very open to suggestions and questions. Other actions you can take to support this podcast and join the Worldwide Tribe are to visit our shop and buy a t-shirt or a hoodie or donate. All of the details are in the show notes and in my Instagram bio. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it, rate it and leave a review. It helps more people to find this podcast and it helps me to keep bringing you these stories. The more people who come on this journey with us, the more connected we all become and the more we unite as one Worldwide Tribe.
A big shout out to Alexander Wells at alexanderwells.co.uk for our audio production and original score and to Ez Stone for mixing this episode.